You are listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org. That is going right along the line of what we've been talking about here over this past month in the sermon series that we've been calling Imagine, Fixing Your Mind's Eyes. It's been all about helping this toxic thinking to get cleared out of our brains. Because you know, like toxic chemicals that can cause disease and destruction to our bodies, toxic thinking can cause disease and destruction to our hearts, to our souls, to our lives. And so we've looked at when we begin to dwell on these toxic thoughts and these anxious thoughts and these self-loathing thoughts, we need to do what it says in Philippians 4, rejoice in the Lord always because the Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. And, and we need to replace those toxic thoughts, those stinking thoughts, with, with we talked about stand firm thinking, and it goes on to say there that whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, Whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is admirable, things that are excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things and the God of peace will be with you. I love how the first verse says, and the peace of God will be with you, and then that passage says, and the peace of God will be with you. Wouldn't it be great if you could have the peace of God and the God of peace with you all the time? How many of you would like that? And, and, and imagine if that were the case. You could be at peace with who you are. You could be at peace with where your life is headed. Imagine that you could be under control without having to be in control all the time. Imagine that you would be able to not only know what God's will is, but that you would be able to walk it out. That's That's the dream. That's the goal that we all have. And I wish that I could tell you that that I never worry, that I never think badly of anybody, that I never get angry at somebody, that I'm never tempted. I wish that I could tell you that, but I've got to be honest with you. I struggle with it too. What would you say if I told you that the person that wrote those scriptures that we just read also admitted that he struggled doing them? The Apostle Paul who wrote those passages in Philippians, also wrote these words in Romans chapter 7. If you have your Bible, I invite you to turn there. If you have your digital version or your hard copy, or if you have the Riverside app, I encourage you to open that up to the live event and follow along as you would. Because I want you to get these scriptures down. I want you to know where they are. I want you to go home and read them throughout this week. But the Apostle Paul, who said always to rejoice and to keep your mind on all these great things, also wrote this in Romans 7, verse 15. He says, I don't understand what I do. For what I want to do, I don't do. But I do what I hate to do. And if I do what I don't want to do, and he goes on and he says, I know that the good itself doesn't dwell in me, that is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I can't carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. Anybody else feel like that? (laughs) Everybody said, Amen. (laughs) 
Brandon Manning, one of my favorite writers, who is also a recovering alcoholic, wrote in the book Ragamuffin Gospel these words. He said, you know, when I get honest, I admit that I'm just a bundle of paradoxes. I believe, but I doubt. I hope, but I get discouraged. I love, but I hate. I feel bad about feeling good. I feel guilty about not feeling guilty. I'm trusting and I'm suspicious. I'm honest and I play games. He said, Aristotle said that I'm a rational animal, but I say I'm an animal with an incredible capacity for beer. Paradoxes that we have. We all struggle with it. Your struggle, my struggle with sin is universal. It's everybody's battle. Would you say that with me? My struggle with sin is everyone's battle. It's that battle between your good intentions and your not-so-good vices, right? I intend to go to the gym and work out, but I really like to sit in front of the television and eat my potato chips. I intend to clean out my garage, but boy, it's a beautiful day. I'd love to just go golfing, right? I, I intend to finish writing my sermon, but oh, I got to check the headlines. Oh, I got to see what's going on on Facebook. Oh, I got to read my Twitter. Oh, I got to. I want to do one thing, but I end up doing the thing that I know I shouldn't be doing. Paul calls this the battle between the spirit and the flesh. And, and in reality, we all fight it. We all sin. We're all sinners. We're like little kids whose parents say, don't do something, and they draw a line. And what does the little kid do? Walks right up to the line and sticks their toe over it. We're all drawn to this. And, 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 and so what do we do? We, 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 we just are constantly bad. And Bill Hybels one day was preaching on sin, a pretty hard sermon about sin. And afterwards, one of the people in his church came forward and he, and he said to him, you know, that, that was pretty hard. That was pretty rough. I, all this talk about sin is making me feel really bad. And, and I just, for one, don't consider myself a sinner. A lot of people are like that today, don't you think? So Hybels, knowing the guy, said, well, you know, can I just ask you a few questions? Sure, go ahead. So, so Bill Hybels says, so um, tell me, you've been married for 25 years, right? And he said, in that 25 years... Have you been 100% faithful to your spouse, to your wife that whole time? And the guy says, hey, you know, I'm in sales. I travel a lot. Wink, wink. And they all knew what he meant by that. And then Bill said, okay, so when you travel and you fill out that expense account, do you ever add something that really wasn't for business so that you could get a little more in? He said, well, I mean, everybody does that. And so Bill says, okay, so when you're there and you're selling your product, do you ever exaggerate? Do you ever say that it can do some things that you know it really can't do? Do you ever promise that it's going to be delivered the next day or it's going to be sent out the next day and you know it's going to be two weeks from now before it's sent out? And he says, man, every, that's, that's the industry standard. We all do that. And so Bill Hybel said, okay, so do you hear what you just told me? You just said to me that you're an adulterer, you're a cheater, and you're a liar. And the guy says, oh, man, that's pretty rough. That's pretty hard. I only said that I do a little bit of this, a little bit of that, something here, a little on the side, a little bit of that, everybody does that. And he says, buddy, I want you to know this, that when we water down sin as if it's just a mistake, we can't ever get help over the sin. We've got to call it what it is. 
Andy Stanley said one time that, you know, we all like to say, well, I didn't sin, I didn't rebel, I, I just made a mistake, right? We all make mistakes. It's a lot softer sounding when we say, oh, I just make a mistake. He says, well, you know, if you just make mistakes, that makes you a mistaker. And if you're a mistaker, then you're able to fix it yourself. But how's that working for you? Until we realize that we are what we are, we can't find the help that we need to get over it. And so, I want to do a little liturgical greeting here this morning. How many of you, you've gone to a liturgical church and there's, a, there's this normal greeting, maybe the, the leader or the pastor would say, peace be with you, and everybody says, you've been there, haven't you? Peace be with you and also with you. Well, as the church lady says, is that special? <laughs> I want to get real with you for a moment, okay? Let's do a re- get real kind of a greeting in church. Now, I went to Penn State where at Beaver Stadium they would shout one side of the stadium, we are, and the other side would shout Penn State, and they'd go back and forth and do that. I want to divide the room in half. In fact, if you're on this side of the cross, I want you to be the one side of the room, and if you're on that side of the cross, the other side of the room. And we're going to do a little liturgical greeting, a get real liturgical greeting. And so everybody stand. Everybody stand. I want you to turn and face the other crowd. And, um, and so turn the other direction. And on this side, I want everybody to say, I'm a mess. Would you just tell them that? I'm a mess. And on this side, say, me too. too. All right, again. One more time. All right, you may be seated. Congratulations. (laughs) I think. (laughs) Maybe not. See, before we can fix our mind's eye, we need to realize our mind's eye needs fixing. You have to recognize your struggle with sin and own it. Because sin isn't just simply the mistakes we make. It's really the condition of our souls. It's the condition of our hearts. And we have to admit that we're unable to control this fatal attraction to doing the wrong thing. We have to say, I am powerless to win this battle on my own. Would you say that with me? I am powerless to win this battle. And so the first step to healing is admitting that we can't fix ourselves. It's not a do-it-yourself kind of thing. So how then can we be healed from this bondage to destructive habits, to destructive addictions, to this brokenness, and to this sin? Paul goes on, and he, read, and he writes this in verse 21. He says, So I find this law at work. Although I want to do good, evil is right there with me. For in my inner being I delight in God's law, but... I see another law at work within me, waging war against the law of my mind and making me a prisoner of this law of sin that is at work within me. And he just throws up his hands and he says, Oh, wretched man that I am, who will rescue me from this body of death, this subject of death? But then he quickly answers it, Thanks be to God who delivers me through Christ Jesus our Lord. He recognizes the futility of battling it on his own, but then he also says there is hope, and that's the good news, and that hope is the grace of God, which comes to us unconditionally. We don't deserve it, 
I am powerless to win the battle, but the good news is there is a power greater than me. Would you say that with me? There's a power greater than me. I love how Eugene Peterson in the message paraphrase of that passage puts it this way. He says, I've tried everything and nothing helps. I'm at the end of my rope and there's no one who can do anything for me. Isn't that the real question? So he says, the answer, thank God, is that Jesus Christ can and does. He acted to set things right in this life of contradictions where I want to serve God with all my heart and mind, but I'm pulled by the influence of sin to do something totally different. And so when I get to the end of my rope, and when I realize that I can't fix myself, it's only then that I can reach out to this greater power, which is God, through Jesus Christ, infused with the Holy Spirit. It's this power that I don't deserve, that I know I don't earn it. I can't muster it up from within me. I have to be humbled enough to admit that I need it. But this power is available to anyone who would ask, and it is given without any strings attached. And so reading on in verse chapter 8, he goes on and he says, Therefore... There is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ Jesus. Wow. Wow. I am not condemned because of this behavior. That behavior isn't the end of the story for me. I am not bound by that behavior because now there's something different. There is a switch that takes place when I'm in Christ. He goes on, he says, I am not, there is, no now con- there is now no condemnation for those that are in Christ because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. For what the law was powerless to do because it was weakened by the flesh God did it by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. That is a mouthful, folks. That is a whole lot of theology in those couple verses there. This law that we look at, the Ten Commandments, the Torah, the Old Covenant, the Hebrew Scriptures, all those to-dos and not-to-dos, they can't fix us. In the same way that the rules you put down for your child doesn't keep them from wanting to break them, the law doesn't keep us from wanting to break the law. The law is simply there to show us where the boundaries are. It is there to warn us and to correct us, but it can't change the want to inside of us. It can't change the motivations of the heart because the law can't fix us. It's not just putting down laws that's going to fix you. It's getting a new heart that transforms you from the inside out, and you want to do the right thing. It is changing the want to inside of you that only God can do. The law is powerless but only God can fix us. And so fixing your mind's eye is not a do-it-yourself endeavor. You're never going to be able to meet the requirements of the law by just being good enough on your own. And notice in this passage, we need the whole Trinity to help us here because it says in that passage, it is what God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh as a sin offering. So God the Father saw you and saw me in the condition that we were in 
And it is precisely because of that that Jesus came. See, so many of us think that God hates us because of our sin. And I want you to know that God loves you precisely because he knows you're a sinner and he knows that you can't fix yourself. Think about that. Think about that. So the enemy tells us, you're a sinner, you better stay away from God, and God's saying, I know you're a sinner, so I'm going to come to you. I'm going to become like you. I'm going to become flesh. I'm going to enter into your world, and I'm going to face the same trials and the same temptations. I'm going to face the same injustices, the same unfairness. I'm going to go through same people that hate are going to hate me, and I'm going to love them in response, and I'm going to love the outcasts, and I'm going to care for the sinners. I'm going to be friends with those who know that they are far from God. That's who God sent in the flesh. God, you want to know what God feels like toward you? Look at Jesus. That's how God feels like toward you. Jesus came and he bore on himself the sinless one, the one who perfectly obeyed the law, who never crossed the lines, the one who never did any wrong, went to the cross himself, offered himself to God and said, here I am, let me be the sin. Let me be the one that takes that from them. Let me be the one that is able to forgive the one who murders me and crucifies me so that they can see that this is what God's like. And when he went into heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to us and let the Spirit now live inside of us. So we need God the Father to send the Son to be the perfect sacrifice. And now we no longer live in the flesh, but we live by the power of the Spirit of God who Jesus sends into our hearts and into our lives. That is good news. And so, this struggle with sin is everybody's struggle. We all do it. And I'm powerless to fix this on my own. I need a power that's greater than me. And God, through the grace of Jesus Christ, is that power that's greater than me. So what then do I do? What do I do? I I surrender. I surrender. You you know, maybe you didn't come to a church that raises their hands in worship. And one of the reasons why we raise our hands, some of us that like to do that, nobody has to do it, but the reason we do that, it's a sign of saying surrender. God, I surrender to you. Or you hold your hands like this and say, God, I need you. Surrender, need. God, So what do I need to do is surrender means I just need to let go and let God take control. Let's say that together. I must let God, let go and let God, let's do it, I blew it. I must let go and let God take control. Because here's the thing. When I'm in control, I'm really out of control. But when I let go of control and let it go to God, I am now under control. I'm under his control. When I'm in control, I'm out of control. But when I let go and let God take control, then I'm under control. And so we need to make the decision to turn our lives and turn our will over to the care of God and say, God, it's not me any longer, but it's you. And I know a lot of you are saying, well, man, that sounds pretty wimpy. You know, we're Americans. We're individualists. We can do anything. You know, The motto of America is, I can do anything. The motto of the believer is, I can do anything through Christ. That's a big difference, isn't it? It's a big difference. 
through Christ who strengthens me. So, so I need to let go. This is one of the sayings of Alcoholics Anonymous. And, and in fact, we're looking at the first three steps of AA in the sermon this morning because AA, those steps come right out of Scripture. That's where they found these. Scripture is all about letting go and letting God. So I need, to, I need to just let go of my fears. I need to let go of my blaming. I need to let go of my anger. I need to let go of my need to be in control. I need to let go of my ego and let go of my demand to have it done my way. Let God, let God have it. Let go of my life and let God do for me what I can't do myself. And so Paul goes on and he says, those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desires. But those who live in accordance with the Spirit have their minds set on what the Spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. And those who are governed by the flesh... uh, is hostile to God. It doesn't submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. You, however, are not in the realm of the flesh, but you're the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone doesn't have the Spirit of Christ, they don't belong to Christ. And so the point is, if you've surrendered to Christ, you've given your life to Christ, the Spirit of God is in you, and it empowers you to do what you cannot do on your own. And surrendering to God has to be wholehearted. We can't have half-hearted surrenders. Imagine that. Imagine that. A half-hearted surrender. God, I surrender my Sundays to you, but Friday night, man, that's all mine. (laughs) Right? Right? Other people like to negotiate with God. It's like, God, I'll surrender to you if you do what I tell you. And it's like we can twist God's arm. We'll bargain with God. God, I'll surrender to you You know, if you get me out of this mess I got myself into, I'll surrender to you. God, I'll surrender to you. I'll trust you if if you give me that 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 guy or that girl that I've been really wanting. God, I'll I'll surrender to you if if I get the raise or the new job or I get more money. God, I'll surrender to you if we think we can bargain and negotiate with God as if you're God and He has to do what you tell Him to do. So so it can't be a half-hearted surrender. And you know, another word for surrendering is simply trust. It's trusting. Trusting that God's going to catch me. Have you ever done a trust fall? You do that sometimes, team building exercises, you know, take the whole team out. All right, I'm going to do a trust fall. Who's going to catch me? Ah, see? I don't trust you. I'm not going to do it yet. But (laughs) trust means letting go and letting God catch you. And he will. He won't drop you. He'll catch you. He'll catch you. So when you can realize that you're powerless to fix yourself, and when you reach out to the one that's more powerful, who has all the power, then you can let go and let God take control. A way to summarize the first three steps of this is simply this. I can't. He can. Let him. Right? Let's say that. I can't. He can. Let him. I can't. He can. Let him. Let him. I'm going to invite the band to come up, and we're going to wrap up in just a minute. 
But I want you to know where this goes. If you begin to live this way, if you daily say, God, I no longer live, it's you. I got to let go and let you be in control. And it's not a one-time thing. It's an every day, day by day, one day at a time thing that we need to do. When we do that, God changes our minds. He changes us. He, he rewires us. We're transformed. Notice what he writes in Romans 12, because this is where Paul's going. Romans 7 and 8 go to Romans 12, and he says, Therefore, in light of everything that I have said, in light of all that you've heard me read, read, what you've read and what you've heard, I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your proper worship. Don't conform to the pattern of the world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you'll be able to attest and approve what God's will is, his good, his pleasing, and his perfect will. Wouldn't it be good to be in the peace of God and have the God of peace with you all the time? How do you do that? You say, God, take me just as I am. I offer myself to you. The good, the bad, and the ugly, I give it to you. Take me, God. I don't want to conform any longer to this world. I don't want to give in to that, that side of me that is so tempted. So I die to that today, God. Transform me. And notice the act of transformation is a passive thing. It says, don't conform. That's your responsibility. Being transformed is what God does. It is a something only God can do for you. When you get your mind transformed, And so we offer all of ourselves to God, not just a part of ourselves, the whole part of us. And when I offer myself completely to God and when I resist the pull of the world daily, my mind gets transformed. Did you know that your mind can literally be rewired? You know that brain science today is discovering that our brains are much more malleable than we used to think. You see, the enemy will tell you, this is who you are. You can't change. You've always been this way. You're always going to be this way. So quit trying. And you know what? He's half right. He's half right. He's wrong in saying this is the way you always have to be. But he is right in saying quit trying. Because what you need to do is quit trying and say, God, that's no longer me. I'm going to be saying, God, I want your spirit to do what I can't do. And I'm going to behave in ways that might not be how it feels natural to me. It might feel natural for me to commit to, to give in to my sin. But I'm going to start behaving in a way that's different because I believe that is the old me. And I believe you give me the power to live this way. So I'm going to start behaving the right way. Because you know what's the truth? You can't think yourself into new behavior, but you can behave yourself into new thinking. And if you behave yourself in the new way, your mind is going to be rewired. And those synapses that used to be so automatic to you, now they start being different. And the one to commit sin, the one to cross the line, starts to go because now you're starting to behave in a different way. And the, and the one to often will follow. And that's the renewing of your mind that God does for you and for me. So we need to ask the Holy Spirit to fix our mind's eye, to fill us. 
And we need to offer ourselves to God. We need to ask and offer. God, I need you. I offer myself to you. Give me a new mind, a new heart, a new spirit. Paul summarizes this so concisely in Galatians 2.20, one of my favorite verses. Sort of a summary of all that he says in Romans. He says, My old self has been crucified with Christ, and it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. So I live this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Isn't that wonderful? If you don't have that underlined in your Bible, if you don't have that highlighted on your digital device, if you don't have that somewhere, you've got to memorize that verse. It's no longer me, but Christ who lives in me. And now I live, now, in trusting the one who loved me and gave himself for me because Christ now lives in me. So what's the Holy Spirit saying to you this morning? Because I know when I preach a message like this, I know I'm talking, but I know there's another voice that's talking in your brain right now, and it's not me, it's the Holy Spirit. And so I ask you the question, what's the Holy Spirit saying to you, even as I talk about this? Because you know where you struggle. You know what it is that would love to get its grip on you again, or maybe already has its grip on you, and the thing that you battle the most could be food, it could be, could be an illicit relationship, it could be dipping into the till at work and getting the extra cash, you know, whatever. I, you know where it is where you struggle the most. And you know the Holy Spirit speaks to you. So I just want to give you an opportunity to let the Spirit seal this in your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? While you're sitting there, can you just take your hands and make them into fists? Make them in the fists and just set them on your lap there and just say, ask the question, what is it that has a grip on you? You think you're in control, but it's really controlling you. You think you have a grip on it and you can, you can do it yourself, but it's really got a grip on you. What is that that's got its grip on you? And what do you need the Holy Spirit to take from you and say, God, I want to let it go. I want to let it go. I want to give it away. I let go. I want to let God be in control of this. Would you stand with me, please? I'm going to ask you to do something. You don't have to, but I, I want to invite you. If God's speaking to you, I want you to hold your hands up like this. All right? This is the stuff that's got its grip on you. That's, that's right there in the field. You think you got a handle, but it has a handle. It's got its grip on you. And this is what I want to do. I'm going to count to three. And on the count of three, I'm just going to ask you to let it go. Just let it go. Just let it go. One, you know what it is. The Holy Spirit's speaking to you about. Two, I know the enemy's saying, oh, you can't let go. You're too afraid. God's saying, I can let go. I can take this from you. Three, just let it go. Let it go. Let it go and let God take it from you. Let it go. Let God take it from you. We need God. Let's sing together. We need the Holy Spirit. Let's sing this together and respond.
Thank you for listening to the Riverside Community Church Podcast. For more information, visit us at www.riversideconnect.org.